Measuring healthcare quality, such a simple concept. But if I put quality, measurement, and healthcare in a search engine, I get over 260 million responses in less than half a second. There's a lot of information out there, and quite a bit of it is misinformation. We touched on how difficult it is to measure quality in healthcare during our last podcast with Dr. Ben Pollock. There are a lot of different things that we can measure, things like mortality rates, length of stay, complication rates, quality of life, patient experience, many more things. But in order for those things to be measured, the data has to be in the health record, and it doesn't get there automatically. A lot of what gets into the health record is for the benefit of healthcare. That's what it was intended for. But documentation requirements have grown a lot as the thirst to measure quality has increased, and especially the thirst to report quality to payers. One study found recently that 12 and a half hours of physician and staff time for every physician in practice are spent per week entering information into the medical record that really is only for the purpose of reporting quality measures for external entities like Medicare, Medicaid, and private health insurance plans. That is incredibly frustrating and inefficient, but even that isn't enough because there's a next step. Once that information gets into the health record, somebody needs to get it out of the health record. They need to validate it, and then they need to record it, and that's a lot of effort. And after that, they have to report it to all kinds of other agencies. So suppose you mastered the measurement and the recording, and you have it all in a spreadsheet. For a typical U.S. healthcare facility, you're probably looking at more than 160 outpatient measures and hundreds of inpatient measures. Wouldn't you think that the electronic health record could smooth all of that work? I mean, these are computers. And wouldn't you think that the measurements might be able to be extracted from the record and then reported directly? Well, of course you'd think that, but unfortunately, even that doesn't happen automatically. Talk to anyone you know who works in healthcare, and they'll tell you that the EHR has helped in some ways, but it hasn't made the work easier. In fact, up until the last half decade or so, this whole process was very manual, and it took hours, weeks, and months to accomplish. And of course, not every electronic health record is the same, and not every organization is the same, so the process is a little different in every organization. There's multiple collection methods, specifications, processes, and customers in the regulatory quality space, and this has challenged organizations to report performance accurately and efficiently. So I've told you the problem. At Mayo Clinic, we realized that we needed to shift from inefficient, manual, and wasteful processes to a much leaner and efficient process that would help the practice. We needed to do quality improvement on our quality improvement processes. So how did we do that? Well, today I've invited some guests who've been involved in trying to solve this problem, how to obtain and report the quality measurement data much more efficiently. Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic and the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Co-hosting today with me is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Welcome, everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Morgenthaler, I liked in your opening that you said this work doesn't happen automagically. I don't know if people caught that, but I really like that because to many of us that who aren't closely involved in this work, 
it can probably feel like things just sort of magically happen in this space and well, things get submitted, right? Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and I think, you know, we, we get that idea because so much of the commercially available software that we use for things that matter to us, like email and messages and word, these are refined products, but this whole process of putting healthcare information into an electronic health record and then getting it out and reporting it, this has still been a work under development. So today we have some experts to help us understand more about this. I'm really excited to have Jennifer Allen and Tara Olson join us to share what they've been learning about making more efficient use of the EHR, that's the electronic health record, for recording, extracting, and reporting quality measures. Jennifer, could you just introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Jennifer Allen. I'm an IT lead analyst programmer. I've been at Mayo about 20 years, and I also worked at the state of Minnesota. My degree was originally in chemistry, where I worked in molecular biology research and created and licensed animal vaccines. I didn't know that about you. That, what an interesting starting point. Just shows how flexible education can be. Tara, uh, really glad to have you too. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Tara Olson. I'm a manager in the quality data and analytics service line. I've worked at Mayo for 27 years now, and the first 20 of those were in IT. During that time, I gained experience in supporting various applications and also data warehousing and some other things that brought me to where I'm at today with this job. Well, I know Sherry and I and many, many others are really glad that you're on our Mayo Clinic team. So I'd like to just kind of launch off by asking you both, tell us how you first got interested in this particular problem of recording, measuring, and reporting quality data. And how did you get your arms around it to begin with? How did you get started? From an IT perspective, the team I'm on now was strategically formed when Mayo started on our epic journey about seven years ago. And honestly, that's when I first started to work with quality. Prior to that, IT team had a traditional kind of compartmentalized approach to quality submissions where there were SQL developers on one team, maybe quality developers using the EHR on another. And so the plan to centralize and capitalize on our gains evolved over time. I remember my early interactions with the quality team. They had a very healthy trust, but verify skepticism, which was absolutely appropriate. They wanted to know, would our implementation of Epic live up to the hype? For our listeners, I think probably most of you know, but Epic is the name brand of one very common electronic health record. Tara, tell us about your thoughts about this. Well, when I used to work in IT, a lot of these submissions to the regulatory agencies were supported mostly by the developers. They would read the specifications manuals, they would interpret them, code it as they saw fit, and then even validate and submit the data. The quality representatives were involved, but they were subject matter experts available to just answer questions. They weren't deeply involved in the submissions. So when I moved into quality, I saw an opportunity to get the quality informaticists involved in the submissions and have them play a more crucial role in it. But what happened was the pendulum almost swung too far, which is what Jennifer was referring to, where the quality informaticists were doing the majority of the work and the developers were just learning the technologies that they needed to do the submission. There was no overlap. 
so then when Epic was implemented at Mayo, it gave us a perfect opportunity to kind of level set and start over and build it as a multidisciplinary team working very collaboratively together. So the members of the team at that point, sort of like necessity breeds design here, the members of the team at that point were IT, quality informaticists, subject matter experts from quality, I would imagine clinicians, who, who else? Clinical care teams were needed, and also we have quality performance improvement advisors across our regions at Mayo that also are available to us when we have more detailed questions as things pertain to the practice. And I would echo that. They are really our eyes and ears to the practice and the pitfalls and hurdles, and so that was really important. So Jennifer and Tara, both then, as you reflect on when you started to organize that work, who else was important to involve as you, as you got started? Some of the quality leadership from a practice side, which helped to set our marching orders and priorities. That was a really big piece of it. Tara, anything you want to add from your perspective? Yeah, I would just reiterate leadership played a very critical role in um, ensuring that the staff could prioritize this work, that we had the same staff involved from submission to submission, so we weren't continuously retraining folks. The leadership also understands the skill sets involved and knows how to match up those skill sets to ensure all bases are covered. If you could, describe a little bit for our listeners What's the kind of work that you're doing as this team together here? Because, you know, we've talked about kind of how you evolved, how you came together. Walk us through an example. I always think of it as a pyramid, if you will. We have a foundation of things that are absolutely required. So to me, that's building out the MIPS, Electronic Clinical Quality Measures, or ECQMs. We wanted to build that out, and that was new to us, and... We brought in nursing informatics to understand the workflow. I had no idea what a depression screening workflow was. How to build that to what we were doing in Epic. We all had to understand that. I had to understand the tool set to do that. We had decided to try an Epic first or Epic tool first approach rather than build it in SQL because we wanted to bring as much real-time information if needed to the practice. And it's a lot easier to present it in line with where they're looking at patient charts than, oh, go look at some other website and try to remember all the places to go. That was a a novel concept for us to, to build these eCQMs. And we did that the very first year for our first go live, learned a lot and started to see where That was useful maybe for submission, but not as useful for presenting to the practice. That helped us answer the question of, we need to do this, but maybe I don't have to worry about showing the practice that one because we really want them to focus on some other performance measure. And I would like to add from the quality side of things, I think oftentimes it was taken for granted what kind of work's involved from the IT side. A lot of people think, you know, you point to a screen and you say, I need that field. And I think that there's this misunderstanding and it's assumed that it looks like that behind the scenes. But in the database, really, they could be going through hundreds, if not thousands of tables. The data is cryptic. 
it needs to be translated. There's multiple joins on the tables just to simply get to that one single field on the screen. So what the quality informaticists did to help in this example and others is they learned some SQL and got access to the database. And now they're actually able to go in and data profile and understand the complexities of what IT needs to do. And then that lends itself to being able to communicate really efficiently and um, productively as a team together. And just for our listeners who, who aren't in IT, when you're talking about SQL, I think that stands for Structured Query Language. So it's really a programming yes. language. I know just enough to get myself in trouble, but it's, it's used extensively in database management. Am I right about that? Yes, it, it, it's a very simple querying language and, you know, select from and maybe with some filters and some sorting. So it's a very simple way to look at the data. So I'm a clinician, okay? And part of my job is that I'm told that I have to screen to know if patients have depression. So I have a clinical tool. It's called a PHQ-9. I don't know what that stands for, but it's a series of questions that asks about a given individual's level of depression. I do that because I'm trying to be a diligent uh, clinician to learn if this patient's at risk for significant depression or not so much, but I have to record that someplace. So that's the, the design of the EHR. You have input into that to make sure that it's designed in a way that fits in my workflow so I can get it in there. But now it's in there and now you need another team to figure out, well, great, how do we know how many patients have been screened and what's their average PHQ-9 score. And am I kind of getting the flavor of it there, Absolutely. Tara and Jennifer? Absolutely. All right. As you started this work with Epic, you know, and I kind of remember these, I, I'm having a little PTSD here, remembering <laughs> these large rooms of bringing everything together. What were some of the big challenges as you were starting this? And what did you learn about that? That's really where working with Tara's team, I am not a clinician. I have no idea what fields to care about. So understanding the workflow from nursing informatics, obviously Mayo is not a small organization. We had a, a variety of workflows to consider. And then how do we accurately present that and then test and validate and rely on the specifications, what exactly does that numerator denominator statement mean and how do we programmatically describe those populations? That flow came through and the first year, you know, we, we worked and worked and worked and I think we got six measures set up. That was a huge accomplishment. And then we started to build from there. The communication with the practice and the workflow to quality was very key. And then also, I would like to add to that, that we always have competing priorities. And so the leadership involvement and in ensuring that the uh, most important things, probably the regulatory needs were being met and that appropriate staffing was also being met. You know, having that leadership support is so crucial for any kind of successful outcome. So I'm curious, what were any of the surprises that you had along the way in this work? There was one that really surprised me. We set up these six measures. We had gotten them done to be ready for the following year. We had had a regulatory opportunity, I would say, to use those six measures for a site earlier than we had anticipated. So it was really nice to have this new development kind of be a safety net. Here, 
we had this great opportunity to try out our new build. Great. Tara, any surprises? I'd like to answer this more from the perspective of the quality department. Since I did have a lot of experience in IT, this wasn't a surprise for me, but the importance of validation, how much time needs to be committed to it, how it's very important to test out every scenario you can think of. Think of every exception, every strange anomaly and go in and test it out. Because again, I think that it's taken for granted how much work the IT teams have to do to pull that data and how difficult it is. So validating is very important. And we do spend a lot of time on that. And uh, I think folks in quality now understand that. It sounds like a lot of the quality team or probably IT team as well had a newfound appreciation for what the work was on the other side of the fence, so to speak. I would add to that for Tara's validation comment. Mayo probably sees a lot of edge cases in the complex care. So we probably have scenarios that are very challenging to validate as well. Let's get a little bit detailed here. My understanding is that for 2023, there are maybe more, but I know there's at least 10 new quality measures that are potentially reportable in the MIPS, which is one of the quality reporting systems for Medicare and other systems. Tell us how it works now. So now you have this team that we never used to have, and you've kind of waded through the development of our EHR, which continues to change and be modified and hopefully improved. What's the work look like as you attack either new quality measures or changes in how they're defined? Since we've been doing this for a few years now, we have a pretty familiar cadence. The Terrace team really does a lot of the analysis on the delta of when existing quality measures change. So that's important. And then also the scoping on new measures that we get code from Epic to help support those. And that is a benefit. We don't have to rewrite all of those specifications. So we establish a cadence with Terra's team that has become an, kind of an autonomous foundational, this is what we do. My team members meet with Terra's team members, depending on the submission. You know, we bring new staff in, having them focus on just one set of quality measures so they're not overwhelmed. And we put things into the system and Terra's team goes forth and validates. One other thing that I'd like to mention is that we do have somebody designated as the project manager. Now, it doesn't have to be somebody that's PMP certified. It's just really more a person that takes on that role of keeping things organized, ensuring that timelines are met and keeps things moving forward. I'm kind of going back to what I talked about in my introduction. You know, I, I unfortunately remember when, you know, there were like chart reviewers that would go through and manually extract and put into Excel sheets and things like that. Are we more efficient now? Is this a, a leaner process? Definitely more efficient and lean. Um, I, I remember uh, back in the days with what you're describing, and we just had so many people. We brought in temporary help just to do the abstraction and get that work done. So now we are able to pull a, a lot of the data from discrete fields. I think if it's an ECQM or electronic clinic quality measure, we're able to 
get that entirely electronically. Even in the areas where we still have some supplemental abstraction, it's very, very minimal. I'm literally remembering back to the early 2000s when this was all started. I mean, it was all manual. What proportion of them now are electronic? In other words, you've got a code that you've told me how to put it in efficiently, and you've got a way to efficiently pull it out, and it, and it gets reported after I'll say a light touch, because I know you still check the validation to make sure everything's looking right. But what proportion of all the reported quality metrics now are electronic or automated? For our two southern locations, Arizona and Florida, all of their MIPS data is eCQM or electronic. So while we validate before we create the file, it's automated from there. The Midwest is in an ACO, and that is still using a web interface kind of sample population. Next year, the plan is to use eCQM. It's great. We already have that set up, so we really get to reuse that build. And last year, I know when we did the web interface submission, we were done on the first Monday of January when we got the sample population they didn't need us again. So I think back to your lean question, from an IT perspective, we used to have three EHRs. We have one now, I would say we probably in total have a third of the staff that we used to have. Gotcha. What Jennifer's referring to are mostly the ambulatory metrics. There are also hospital metrics that are still a bit more manual. There's a handful of abstractors that we still have working on those, but I think as you know, the government is changing the regulations, the specifications, it will become more and more electronic. We might get to a point where there's no abstraction. Yeah, and why are the inpatient ones more manual? <laughs> That's okay. Let me think. That's a good question. Discrete fields. I think it's just that there's still in those particular measures a lot of freeform text. And they need to read through it and interpret. Sometimes, it, you know, it might be not a matter of looking for a particular word in there, but what that meaning of what they typed in the note is. In the ambulatory world, almost everything is now in discrete fields where we can look them up electronically. It is a really good question, Dr. Morgenthaler. I'm, I'm not familiar with what the abstractors work on. We have inpatient quality reporting measures that are electronic as well. We send four for every hospital within Mayo Clinic. And those are all these formatted XML documents. So we do have some, and there's a whole inpatient side. I would love to know why they can't streamline that. You know, that's really fascinating because the inpatient measures have been around a lot longer than the outpatient measures. That's kind of an interesting question. It, well, it is. What are your next steps in this whole improvement process? One of the things that we've done is we've taken a step back to like optimize the whole. So when we have, for example, different regulatory or, or requesting agencies who have the same kind of measure, I'll use colorectal cancer screening as an example, we've looked at how we report that agnostic of the tool that we use. So we make sure that every health maintenance modifier is there, every surgical history. Are we using the same groupers? And if we're not, is it because 
the regulations require that, really ask those questions. So that has helped a lot to streamline things. The other thing is every year there are new measures, as you've said, and there's, so there's always new work to be done. I think social determinants of health is becoming more of a focus for many organizations. That will be a fascinating new type of quality measure to re- report on. We have to think about that. From my standpoint in the quality department, one of the things I'd like to focus going forward is cross-training. The quality measures themselves are very complex. There's overlap. There's also where it's similar but not exact. And so it takes a long time to learn that. And sometimes we get other projects added to our plate where we need to pull staff out or in the event of turnover, we need to have other individuals that can step in quickly because the amount of training involved could be significant if we're not prepared. So that's something I'd like to focus on for next steps. So as leaders and experts in this space, anything worrying you or keeping you up at night? To Tara's point, I think that the time it takes to upskill new team members to understand the big picture is not small. And so that's always a concern. We're not a very dramatic organization. We're very efficient. And so uh, there isn't a lot of focus on us. Yeah, I agree with that. We're very quiet uh, because we're highly efficient and productive. And sometimes new work gets added to our plate because they assume that uh, we have time. So that is something that's been evident in the past few years. So it's a compliment, I guess, but uh, the competing priorities then end up being what keeps me up at night. I I think you guys just need to get some teenagers and you'll learn how to be not so quiet. (laughs) Given that, I'm kind of guessing that this might be part of the answer to this question, but we are Mayo Clinic. We've been at this for a long time. We we have the benefit of experts like you who are able to attract good talent, but let's say you're another organization and you're buried in the still very manual, very confusing, very inefficient. What are the first steps that you would suggest that they take? Let's say all of a sudden you you won the lottery and you get to go fix this problem in another organization. What are you going to do? The communication among people who do similar things and don't be too compartmentalized around your tool set. There's really some great opportunity to serve the needs of the organization by finding out what other people do that is similar. The collaboration that we've had has expanded, I think, what we've been able to provide. My recommendation would be for each area to take a little baby step into the other one's world. So for IT folks, it might be learning a bit more about the business domain of quality, learning more about the measures themselves. And then for the quality informaticists, our recommendation is to learn how to navigate the database all of that would lend itself to conversations that are more efficient and everyone can understand what the other one is referring to. Well, we could pick you guys' brains for a long time, but I really appreciate learning about this area that I I think you're right. You know, at Mayo Clinic, I don't think we hear enough from you. I I happen to have had the opportunity (laughs) to work with both of you in my quality role, but I'm sure that many of our listeners have never really thought about these things. So thank you so much for spending time revealing to us the complexity and how to do this work better we do have to end. So thank you again so much for visiting with us. We've come to the end of our podcast. We're glad you could join us and hope that the information provided was insightful and valuable. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. 
The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve. Please let others in your organization know about this podcast so the information can be spread and share your ideas about this podcast with us so we can continue to serve you and improve our podcasts. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.